You're listening to the Douglas Jacoby Podcast. Here we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen, you're challenged to think about faith. Today, Douglas continues his series, 40 Days with James. Now looking at Oppressors and Oppressed. For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. Now here's today's teaching. Forty Days with James, Day 10, Oppressors and Oppressed. In the previous talk, which I titled The Chair and the Floor, we looked at the opening verses of James 2, an occasion when a very rich man and a very poor man walk into the assembly at the same time, and they're treated with favoritism. I don't think James is speaking theoretically. His letter meets practical needs. This is something that was going on in many early churches, just as it happens in today's church. I also noted that there was no, let's say, no wealthy Jesus dynasty. Let me explain that. I began with a little anecdote about Jude's grandsons appearing before the Emperor Domitian near the end of the first century. And these were working class. They were peasants. There's no reason to believe that Jesus's family, including his brothers and their sons and grandsons and the descendants, no reason to believe that there was this powerful, wealthy, glitzy, elitist thing going on. Let's talk about Jesus himself. He was a laborer. He was in construction, manual labor. Now, sometimes we look with great uh, respect on a manual labor. If his labor is, let us say, extremely skilled, let's say a painter or a sculptor, but often we don't think so highly someone who's just hoping uh, to get a to get some work today. Now, you may say, but Jesus, uh, I mean, he was a carpenter, right? Well, maybe, but maybe not. There are only two passages in the New Testament that say he's a carpenter, Mark 6, 3 and Matthew 13, 55. And actually, they don't say carpenter. They say a builder. Uh, he's a tectone. A chief builder is an architectone, like architect in English. There's nothing in there that says he worked with wood. Now, I bring this up because it affects how we think about Jesus and how we feel about him. Think of him as a carpenter. It's a quiet life. He's working for himself, a bit of a loner. He does everything excellently. Um, well, that's a little bit different uh, if, and him being what he probably was, which is a stone worker, a stonemason. Wood is not so common in Palestine. I'm not saying there's no wood, but stone's much more common, um, and, and particularly as a building material. And as a builder, Jesus would have worked with others, like a construction crew. Think of it that way. That's quite different than the solo carpenter. Yet there's a very strong tradition that he was a carpenter. Uh, you know, I personally like the bumper sticker, my boss is a Jewish carpenter, you know, and I like that. I've heard some very moving sermons or communion talks 
speculating about the things that Jesus made in the carpenter shop. For example, wooden yokes, and his yoke would be uh, easy, uh, light, uh, or other objects with a, a deeply symbolic meaning. But it's fair to ask, is that accurate? There's nothing in the New Testament that says he was a woodworker, rather a builder. And so the inference is he worked with stone much more than with anything else. See, carpenter in our culture has a certain prestige. When someone says, oh, I'm in construction or, you know, I just do whatever I can, that's very different. I want us to think about Jesus in this way, better connected with others, uh, not necessarily uh, in a prestigious job, but something that was very productive, just as his father Joseph was. Jesus the builder. Okay. Now, today's text is James 2, verses 5 to 7, so let's jump in. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? Now, this may sound like uh, if you're a rich person, there's no hope for you. You're evil. You're an oppressor. You're guilty before you even open your mouth. I don't think that's what's being said. Because that's not the approach that Jesus took towards uh, the wealthy, nor does the nor does the approach that, say, the prophets took towards the wealthy. They weren't all uh, under a blanket condemnation. Of course, not all poor people will be saved. And of course, not all rich people would be condemned. However, the scriptures heavily side with the needy. There's pity for the plight of the poor. There's a call for God's people to take responsibility, uh, to action. Just read that passage again, because if you don't consider yourself poor, uh, it may not be a passage you feel so great about. <laughs> okay, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be, to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to you belong? So it sounds like if you're rich, you're in trouble. Well, we see stories like Jesus and Zacchaeus in Luke 19, and we realize that Jesus loved everybody, and he didn't uh, He didn't com commit the error of uh, just assuming the less money you have, the more righteous you are. Nothing like that. Now, there's another point that needs to be made, and this is the irony of the favoritism that is being shown towards the rich. Most Christians, and let's think Palestine, let's assume James is writing to Christians in Palestine, Syria, maybe other places, but most are not wealthy. Uh, it may remind you of 1 Corinthians 1, uh, I think it's 26, 27. Consider your calling. Not many of you were of noble birth or you know, wealthy or powerful. Yes, there were some Christians who were quite well off um, and uh, they, they served uh, and that, that made a difference. But most were not. 
So the irony is, in showing favoritism to the wealthy, these are the ones who are actually hurting uh, the poor. They're exploiting them. Their wealth depends very much on the labor of the poor. And so why would you be kowtowing to the people who are basically keeping, they're perpetuating a system that keeps you down? Uh, that doesn't make sense. You're not acting your own best interest. I mean, the rich, after all, use the law to gain wealth, to keep it, to make it grow, and often to make sure that others don't get what they have, that the poor don't get their hands on it. Uh, the Bible is full of stories of oppression. Uh, think of uh, King Ahab uh, coveting the field of Naboth. Wow, that's an incredible story. Think of just some of the prophets like Amos and how they just, oh boy, they just tear into the upper class, uh, leisurely uh, men and women, both, who are so out of touch with the way life is for most people. The, the Bible is not something that's going to make us necessarily feel comfortable or is it going to make us wealthy. Of course, we totally reject the so-called health and wealth gospel that is so popular in the evangelical world, especially among the charismatic movement. It's almost everywhere without exception. Uh, we have to reject that. Just look at the evidence of the gospels and look at the evidence of James. And James is such a great letter to look at because there are... we. There are more points of connection with Jesus' earthly ministry and his words in James than there are in any other New Testament book, um, apart from the Gospels themselves. So we look here, and we can get a feeling and a taste, and we can get a conviction. But it's it doesn't make sense. It's not just wrong to show favoritism. It's, it's actually, we're hurting ourselves if we do that. Well... Hmm, okay. Some of you may say, well, this is a bit too heavy for me, too much history, or others may say it's too light. Uh, I don't know how you strike the right balance. But I will say, before we pray, if you want more, there, there are three more things you can find re referenced in the notes. Uh, you know, there's several Jameses in the New Testament, quite a few. So uh, I've got a Q&A that actually just came in a few days ago uh, about the remains of James. The actual, you know how in the Middle Ages, people wanted a, a bit of a bone of an apostle or a shred of clothing of some famous missionary or saint. Uh, the question is, are James's remains in the church of Santiago de Compostela in Spain? Well, you can look into that if you want. Uh, there's also a link to the New Testament character study on James. Uh, there are maybe 140, 150 uh, studies of, of different men and women in both Testaments uh, in that series. You can learn a little bit more there. And also, there's something quite interesting. Um, in the early 2000s, uh, a book was published called The Brother of Jesus, The Dramatic Story and Meaning of the First Archaeological Link to Jesus and His Family. Well, basically, it was an ossuary that was discovered. An ossuary is a bone box, and the inscription on the ossuary uh, says uh, uh, James, and it's not just uh, uh, James, son of uh, Joseph, but it adds a brother of Jesus, uh, and it's all in Aramaic. 
there's a huge controversy. Is this legit? Some of my friends think, nah, I think it probably is uh, the ossuary of James. That is, after he had been dead for a year or so, they, they would repack, uh, they would take the bones and repack it in a small stone box. Uh, you can actually see that. Um, well, look, you pursue that if you want to. So there's always more to say. But for today, think about the theme, the oppressors and the oppressed. Not all rich people are oppressors. Not all poor people are oppressed. But in general, that's the way it is. And if we pretend otherwise, we're not being honest. And we'll end up on the wrong side of history and the wrong side of Scripture. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the day you've given us. Help us to internalize the message, the message that Jesus taught, the message that his brother faithfully relays to us now as we read James. Lord, help us to overcome uh, confusion, uh, or uneasy feelings, uh, or mental blocks, whatever it is that might keep us from, from accepting uh, your word, your challenge. Give us a heart of humility and help us to really benefit from our study as we go through this amazing letter and um, and tomorrow as we look at the royal law. Thank you, God. Amen. We hope you enjoyed Douglas' teaching on 40 Days with James. For additional notes and resources, be sure to check out Douglas's website in the show notes. The website has hundreds of articles, podcasts, and videos for you to access for free. You can also become a premium subscriber and gain access to thousands of online resources from Douglas' teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.